Welcome back to Jokerman in a post-Shadow Kingdom world. I'm Evan. I'm Ian. And today we're joined by... Hey guys, this is Steve Holmes from the American Football Band. Hey, the American Football Band. <laughs> Not the American Football Sport, the American Football no, Band. Just, yeah, try Googling it. It's, it's a terrible idea. I think it worked out as well as it could have possibly worked out. You know? At least you guys haven't named all of your albums the exact same thing going back to the 1990s. Who did that? Oh. You know what? <laughs> we might be in trouble, yeah. No, it's kind of funny when they get all screwed up on Spotify and everything's wrong and people download the wrong album. And it's like, well... Look at the cover, you know? Yeah, I, yeah. I feel like that must be a nightmare for whatever their cataloging system is over there. They they haven't uh, they haven't figured out a way to to get around that. Even with billions of dollars of VC funds and stuff, they still just can't keep several LPs straight when they all have the same yeah. name. So I have a question, Steve. Do you just refer to it as like the house album, the one with the house? Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I don't know. We were just one, two, three. I don't know numbers. Yeah. That's that probably works too. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, I I just want to tell everybody in the uh, in in Jokerman land, uh, you know, I, I'm sure I don't need to say too much about American football. One of the um, most influential and probably most memed groups of all time. Um, <laughs> and we've got we've uh, got that much going for us. We're very memed. <laughs> probably maybe in reverse order, but um, incredibly. Uh, I was well, prolific may not be the right word, but because uh, you took a long break between records. Yeah, I, I, I don't know how much you want to get into it. The whole story is ridiculous. Like this was our college art project band that was it was never a real band. We played like 20 shows in the Midwest and nobody cared about us at the time. We put out one record, literally recorded it like the five days after graduating and then said, all right, we, we documented this thing. See you later. The end. And never thought about it again for, you know, 15 years. Funny how uh, life works out. Yes. Then, lo and behold, people loved it. It's sort of like what Turned happened out, to, yeah. to Bob Dylan. Uh, you know, he he right after finishing college at NYU, he um, he put out an EP, and then you know he he was working actually just um, working in the mailroom at his father's company, yeah. and then suddenly you know people started saying, you know, I've heard your music. I'll stop this bit right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, did you watch Shadow Kingdom, Steve? I did. Yeah, you guys are doing double duty. This is uh, you guys had an emergency podcast last exactly, night. Yeah. That's uh, that's the life of a podcaster. Very hard work sitting in front right. of the computer and talking to people. Yeah. Well, I had to go from the TV to back into my room right. to go to the computer. It was yeah. a lot of travel. That, that is really challenging. What'd you What'd you think? I loved it. I mean, Bob, Bob is a gift. I had no idea what it was going to be, and and. Uh, uh, that was delightful. I loved. I loved it. It was, you know, my my only complaint would be that it was short, but that's hardly much to complain about from an eighty year old man. <laughs> so exactly. Like, we'll, we'll take what we can get. Exactly. Yeah. I think uh, consensus seems to be emerging that it was fantastic, and yeah, if there's any if there's any nit to pick, it's just that there wasn't enough of it. I'm holding out my finger. I'm keeping my fingers crossed that there's another one of all of the later material coming up at some point, but that might just be wishful thinking at this point. They probably recorded all of that, and it will just never come out. Sunrise Empire. Yeah, it's the coming. sequel to Shadow <laughs> I, I would King. love that. No, I, the, the biggest like aha moment was, 
oh, he considers Oh Mercy an early cut? Right, How exactly. This is what everybody's talking about. It's got the yeah. whole Bob universe like, on Twitter. Technically in the first half. Yeah, it blew my mind. I was like, and, okay. And it's so neat. It's So so we had, we had material from the 60s, 70s, and 80s. That's the early period. And then we can have material from the 90s, the 2000s, the 2010s, mm-hmm. and I guess even the 2020s at this point. Uh, that'll be the, the later songs of Bob Dylan. And uh, yeah. that's sort of like... Made. Kind of like how our podcast works, and uh, in going back to the 2000s, we're going out of chronological order because, you know, in a sense, this is an anniversary episode. Um, I don't know when. Do you think we'll release this? Ian? I think this will run. I think I'm thinking. When, I'm envisioning this. You know, the the original Love and Theft episode that we did was the first episode of quote unquote season four. This is coming out right at the end of season four. We're kind of coming back to Love and Theft once again. But what uh, I'm saying is that wisdom it's, and perspective. We're about to hit the 20 year anniversary of of the Love and Theft album, as Correct. they say in the UK. The, Love the most and notable Theft thing album. to happen on September 11, 2001, the release of Love and Theft. <laughs> yeah, probably the best thing to happen that day. <laughs> probably, definitely, well, yeah, definitely the best thing. I, I guess depending on your geopolitical <laughs> alliances. Um, uh, so yeah, so we're here with Steve to talk about Love and Theft. We're we're gonna do Live and Theft though. We found an awesome Love and Theft live compilation on YouTube that's just sort of a mishmash collection of a bunch of different live cuts. Uh, it's not all one one set. It's a series of uh, performances all throughout the years, um, but it's each song individually, kind of their whole record sequenced one by one by one. Uh, so that's kind of what we're uh, what we're here to talk about because Steve Love and Theft is your very favorite Bob Dylan number record. one. Yeah, I did. You know, kind of piling on on the Steve Hyden thing a few weeks ago, whenever that was. I listening to your guys' episode. I, I in preparation for this did my own stack ranking and uh, Love and Theft. It's for years I would have always said that you know Blonde on Blonde is Bob's best record. And I think in the last year with like the 20th anniversary of that coming up, I was kind of reassessing that record especially and uh it, it, like i love it like that's the record i come back to the most i absolutely just love that record it has obviously coming out on 9-11 was a balm at the time like that was an insane time to live through i know you guys were probably children yeah, <laughs> at the time yeah. or very young fourth grade uh, me, i that record came out i was 24 so it was like i was in my peak bob phase and seeing sure. him live a lot in that period and uh it really just resonated so much and then it's like um i actually was thinking about writing like a proposal for those 33 and a third books to like pitch my hot take on hell yeah. love and theft as <laughs> like bob's greatest wow. album ever that would be and it's perfect. kind of insane because this record like it really it's it's the pivot right i think like he was salty coming out of time out of mind he's like why is this Lanois getting all my credit exactly um and so I think he that, that was this was the the beginning of now it's it's insane insane that it's twenty years ago but like first self produced record this mm-hmm. is the record that basically points the way for the rest of his career as we know it it kind of right. tips the hand to like going into pre World War II jazz and blues uh, where he would go with like the covers records like Modern Times all all this stuff kind of starts from this record and I think this is the best version of it in my opinion made and I think a lot of it is just like where you are in your life a lot of like how you rank these things is more about you than the records right yeah. um like i i have a buddy of mine who's another bob head we were talking about Haydn's list and we're like i said yeah he got every single record wrong 
but the sentiment is right. Like, yes, like, yeah. <laughs> like the sentiment is spot on. Not one record is in the spot I would have put it in. But I think maybe we overlapped on literally one record. Uh, but the sentiment was right. And I think right. that's that's what it is being a Bob fan. Like like I looked at like your guys' top tens and mine and we each overlapped like fifty percent. Like we mm-hmm. yeah, we're all like half and half. Right. And and that like I think Ian you, or no Evan, you had Tempest too, right? As number two, yeah. Infam- and the the infamous me, Tempest at two. Everyone shits on my decision. It's infamous, but you know what? That makes me go. I got to spend more time with Tempest because for right, me, it, exactly. This that is how was it works. Not, yeah, like. You put like, it so well just now. I mean, I, I that the sentiment is right, and, and that's how I feel. You know, these days I'm a little bit more. Um, these days, I mean, like after, now that people listen to the podcast a little bit more, <laughs> I'm like rethinking. You know, some of these salty comments I make, and and really the the truest uh, point is, at the end of the day, we all we all have our reason for loving the Bob record that we love, and uh, some people I think, like you just said, will love one so much in particular that you uh, you ask yourself like well what, why don't i like this one as much right and then you find something to like like about it and uh or love about it rather and i was just thinking that you know you would think after all this time we've spent ian and i talking about all of these albums and this whole artist artist oeuvre you, you would think we might get a little tired of it but the opposite has happened or like i have only learn to like it more on every level right become more interested in in like trying to you know just uncover everything possible as as we'll get into momentarily some incredible just like even even just different versions of the same song contain a wealth of new kind of um you know feeling and, and discovery and stuff uh there's a couple of great instances of that on this live and theft uh compilation that uh, will be available in the youtube description um one question i have to ask steve i don't I don't see a ton of Bob DNA uh, or never-ending tour band DNA in American football. Am I missing something, or is this just is this no, just, it's just a, a totally not, separate I, part of your musical yeah. appreciation? I'm the only guy in the band that cares about Bob, sadly. <laughs> um, and, and no, we do a totally different thing. But I, I love these guys, and like the never-ending tour bands, like these guys are wizards. He has like the greatest musicians in the world, right? And uh, that was what was cool for me about Shadow Kingdom was seeing like like buck meek in that band and i'm like oh that guy's like right. in a band that's adjacent to my band like yeah sure big thief is you know a couple times more popular than we are but still like that was the first time i was like oh i could actually play in that band like when i watched the never ending tour i'm like these guys are wizards like i cannot play in this band in a million years they're so much better than me right uh but seeing that band like those arrangements were like simple in a way that i was like oh, i could i could like like it was neat it was neat seeing him reassess with like a different group of musicians in a way that was like the perfect way to to like arrange these songs and and it doesn't always have to be the guitar firepower wizardry of the live shows i like actually loved having a band with no drums on that set so they could just do subtle arrangements in a way that live he like he loves to lean into the blue stompers yeah which are like in general my least favorite bob tracks (laughs) i i look like i think of bob like hank williams you know how he said I've got two songs, a fast one and a slow one. Right. <laughs> Bob is the same way in a lot of respects, especially yeah. live. He's got he's got the blues stompers and he's got the ballads. And I'm always the ballad guy. The ballads. So like, yeah, so a lot of the blues stompers, I'm like, yeah, this is not my thing. But um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Rambling no, on. Love and Theft in particular, and this live set that we're going to talk about, this collection of live uh, versions, I think it shows 
how in some ways like that those songs are sort of better served in a live context sometimes or having listened to them a lot um in live versions in live form i have also i've started to like really love and appreciate these like big blues rock uh uh productions in a way that like a couple years ago i would have just been like well okay yeah. whatever it but borders on like, jam band at times yeah it, it starts but in a good way with taste if that's possible you realize right. after hearing it enough times that like the stuff that the the guys in the never any tour band can do is um it's way more in- interesting and impressive than than just uh, it seems at first listen because the entire time it's like they're balancing on like a high wire, like listening for every weird little change that Bob might do every little like skip and beat in, in, in his delivery. And they're able to just like make it feel like it's no big deal that this guy is uh, so spontaneous and that they're yeah. like having to listen. I, I'll spend a minute on the, like his band members don't get enough props. Like I will say Charlie Sexton, is just an all-time wizard like that guy is such an insane brilliant guitar player and yes. larry campbell too like when larry yeah, charlie campbell and charlie Lerl. sexton like that that version of the band obviously that's like my personal bias because that's when i was seeing bob a lot but those two guys <laughs> just re- like ridiculous the way they could play off each other and yeah, that's it's part like of it's why like tom verlaine and richard lloyd up there they're like yeah doing crazy stuff when you actually listen Shall we yeah, get I into the music? Let's get into it. Yeah. Let's 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 take a look, see. I'll uh, give us a blow and uh, we'll be off. Well, yeah, I'm getting better at that. You, you every day. Yeah. Just like uh, Bob. <laughs> just like Bob. He's getting good at at music. At, He's at finally getting good. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's pretty good that Bob Dylan. Yeah. Uh, side one, track one. Tweedly Dee and Tweedly Dum. Like you've never heard it before. This version is so fucking. This is ma- like I, I hate to like kind of blow my load right at the top with uh, with the first track, but this is maybe my favorite thing on this entire live live compilation. It's one of my favorite songs on the record yeah. initially, but this reimagining of this of this song he's got from 2015, I think, um, on here. Yeah, Laura, Germany, July 15, 2015. It's, I like I, I had no idea this song was in there in the first place. You know, it's like a totally different thing. Yeah, it's insane. Like this country reimagining of Tweedledee, Tweedledum is like blew my mind. Like I'm, I'm with you, Ian. This isn't probably my favorite track in that the reimagining. Like I think musically better. Like I actually like this yeah. style and this version better than the album version. I actually think the album version fits the lyric better. It's like yeah, kind of shocking yeah. that they could make the lyric match this tone. Right. Um, we yeah, should say that the, this, uh, this version of it is like the opposite of the album version where exactly. in the yeah, album totally. version, it's that like sort of sinister propulsive uh, blues 
and uh, and that's that riff, the main riff on the album version. That's Larry yeah. Campbell. Like nobody can do that riff but that guy. And so like, let's do it a different way. <laughs> that riff is so incredible. I know that that riff is from an actual song, like Lifted, but I don't Isn't know it? from where. But yeah, they they like obviously. We'll get into that on this record. Such yeah. <laughs> but um, the, uh, the yeah, so fitting for love and theft. But uh, this version on the live one we're talking about here is this wistful, um, pastoral, slow version where instead of Tweedly Dumb and Tweedly D like climbing out of a gutter and uh, walking down the street with a, a guy's skull that they're sipping out of, um, in this version they are like. Uh, on, in a motor car uh, in the countryside, uh, observing the beautiful clouds and uh, thinking about the, yeah. the secrets of the breeze, as Bob puts it. Yeah. And there's a killer steel part. I think Donnie Heron is playing the steel on this track mm-hmm. and it's lovely. Yeah. I, it's, I can't believe that like such a, like the, the album cut is so like simultaneously sinister, but also kind of goofy, you know? Um, yeah, because the lyrics are ridiculous. <laughs> exactly. Uh, dripping with garlic and avocado, uh, olive yeah. oil and, you know, uh, pecan pies and everything. Um, and this is, there's something, there's like, it, it's so touching all of a sudden. It's yeah, something like yeah. wistful and like really kind of beautiful here. And like, it's still the same words. It's still the same ridiculous concept about a song about Tweedledee and Tweedledum, which Bob loves to pronounce Tweedledee and Tweedledum. Um <laughs> But it's, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's like... It's about friendship. I mean, it, it makes it into like this exactly. thing about these two ridiculous characters who... The other thing about them, besides it's being absurd, friendship. is that they, they they are friends. That's There's no, two it, things you know about Tweedly D and Tweedly Dumb. They're insane and, and they're friends. And they're friends. No, but this track, it, like, this is a good one to talk about Bob as band leader. Like, I don't, like, people, like... People think of Dylan, I, he's a poet, whatever, he can't sing. Like, that, that is so, like, the false narrative of, like, people who don't know anything about Bob Dylan. Like, exactly. He is, like, a brilliant, like, not only musician and songwriter, but, like, band leader. Like, he he can re-envision any song he's ever written in a different style, in a different key, in a different time signature. And that's, like, next-level stuff. <laughs> like, like, I'm a halfway decent musician. Like, I can't do that. I can't rearrange all my songs in a different key at will <laughs> and be like, let's play it in this, you know, now it's a different style. Like, that's... Like, yeah. that's him that's all bobby granted he's got the best musicians in the world in his band yeah who can do like, it when he says yeah, like okay he, you, he you know this uh, we're just gonna do this one like this obscure record from like 1937 can you guys do that for me uh we have five <laughs> right. minutes before the show <laughs> yeah i'll show it to you once let's go like all right bob huh uh i heard the catering on the a never ending tour is great so you know these guys are well you know, fed. They're they're happy. A friend, they're a friend of my wife's was his chef on tour. No, uh, really? twenty years ago. Yeah, I probably shouldn't get into this. This is like a NDA situation. But <laughs> I heard he only eats like at the time hard boiled eggs and like a chicken breast. That was like his thing he'd eat every day. Incredible, and the the meal of champions. That's that's yes. how he keeps it on the level. Yeah, stays limber. This is it's part of nice the, on the, skinny, yeah. the on the level program. Uh, just from now on, everybody, uh, mark that down. Uh, the, you should only uh, high protein, low carb. That's, yep, chicken, chicken breast, hard boiled egg, and um, um, you know probably and whiskey apparently. Yeah, I guess yeah, exactly. And, yeah, uh, sip a, a nice a nice little <laughs> double shot of uh, Heaven's Door right before you walk out on stage. What's next? Well, uh, well. 
Oh, I know. <laughs> what is there to say on this one? I know I, <laughs> this is one that we've uh, spoken about quite at length. So maybe maybe we'll let you take the lead on this one, Steve. Uh, Mississippi, uh, exactly. Like honestly, My... the, the maybe the greatest song that he's ever recorded. Yes, uh, okay. Not to spoil yeah, anything. You guys, no, you guys are after my own heart. Yeah, Mississippi is like I love this song so much. It's maybe. I, I probably like on any given day is my favorite Bob song ever. Yes. Which um, puts it in the running, of course, for correct. like yeah, favorite it's song. Such, yes. Favorite song by anyone ever. Like, I think what I, what I love the most about this song and this kind of gets back to my, my theme of love and theft is my favorite album of all time. Like, you know, Bob, Bob is 60 when he makes this record. Right. And like the, like the gravitas he has to sing, like only an older person could sing the song. Like you have mm-hmm. to have, like the like the kind of resignation and acceptance and like fond looking back in the narrative of the song like no no 20 year old could sing this and right. and what like as a musician especially someone like the weird arc of our band and coming back like in our late 30s and now we're you know in our 40s like to be able to look up to someone like bob and be like he did his best stuff like post 40s 40s 50s 60s 80 you know he put out his best one of his best records last year yep um it's so like inspiring and like you know music journalism and pop culture in general especially in music is about young people like most Mm -hmm. artists are considered washed up at 30 and uh bob was just getting started at 30 you know he was he he had so many brilliant records ahead of him um and songs like this that he couldn't have written at 30 he couldn't have written this when he was you know doing blonde on blonde this is a thing that only a older wiser person could write and that's you know, to me, this is like this is like an updated version of Stuck in Mobile. It has like that same, yeah, yeah. the way that song is like cyclical and it kind of just resets and keeps going. This one gives me the same vibe, but right, um, you know, by someone later in life looking back, I just love it. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's a great point. Like the 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 lyrics and stuff, and like you know the the imagery, the poetry of this song, like compared to something like. Stuck in Mobile, for instance, um, or um, you know, Visions of Joanna. Like this is not a not a spectacular kind of like uh, incredible out of this world like poem, you know, uh, sort of on the page sort of thing. Um, but like the the like the weight that comes with all of these years and decades and everything that he's been through and seen for that guy at that point in time to be writing the song and singing the song makes it so much more. There's just there's some there's like a there's like this ineffable quality that comes with age that you know if he like if he had written this song and recorded it on blonde on blonde when he was 26 27 like i feel like people would have like almost looked down upon it like it wasn't it wasn't what they wanted from him it wasn't as impressive yeah. as uh, sad eyed lady of the lowlands or something um but him doing this when he did it after everything he had gone through like it just I don't know. It, you know, it, it, it's it like it, like he couldn't have gotten to this point without having gone through all of the shit that he went through in the first place. If that makes some amount of sense, I'm I'm starting to honestly I feel slightly uncomfortable because I gave uh, Blonde on Blonde my number one slot out of sort of a, <laughs> a solemn reverence and sense of duty, and I'm starting to question that because uh, I feel the same exact way as you guys do. 
and Love and Theft didn't make my top ten. It was my eleven, but like for no good tisk, reason. Just disc. I I just I gave um, Modern Times a spot instead of it, but it easily could have taken that spot. Which you were Our, also. Modern I think that Times. was number three That's on your list, right, three. Steve? Yeah, it's sort of a mind blowing top ten. <laughs> I just want to go on the record and say like, don't take my list so literally. All right, but um, <laughs> yeah, and it and like if you read it a week from now, it'd be different. I'm sure oh, like, it would be. Exactly. Yes, exactly. Yeah. But there's like a, a specific line I was just thinking of um, as I was listening to it. Um, earlier today is that line time is piling up this is a line that i think is like so uh so quick and like it kind of just floats by but uh the implication of that line is is uh actually pretty profound that like the idea of time not passing and like flowing and being forgotten but just shit piling up and then we're all boxed in and there's no way to escape from time yeah. like this is but, he, um, but he's not like sad about it it's just it is you know no, it's I mean? like, like he's I just saying he's like, like this is how this is how it is like yeah. i'm i'm recognizing that shit doesn't just go away it just gets cluttered and it's your job as an artist to like survey the landscape and report about like yeah. all this all this detritus that from the past the, and the present when he's the walking through the leaves falling from the trees feel like a stranger nobody sees like this yep. it's okay like every every line of this song and I think I've read that somewhere. Like he said, like every line in this song could be the first line of a song, and that it feels that way. Yeah, oh, it's wow. absolutely. That's incredible. a good way. And I, I love the line. Got nothing but affection for those who sailed with me. Jeez. Yeah, <laughs> like that's so good. Not to uh, not to tip our our hand too quickly, although we talked about this on our previous Love and Theft episode, uh, or I did at least. But th- there's something about sky full of fire, pain, pain pouring, pouring down, down on September 11th, 2001. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Like he just he he didn't know what he didn't know what was coming, but he 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 could. I, I don't know. I I just absolutely maintain some, that he has some sort something of something was in the air. There was a lot of records at that time that were get like this record, and I think. Um, it hadn't come out. Did Yankee Hotel Fox Rock come out? It came out later, right. but like the bootlegs it, it, were out. I think it, at yeah, that it was time. also a pre 9 11 record that people that gets yeah. associated the first, with I, that time. The first Strokes record is like ineffable or like inextricable I, I saw from 9 11 to me. Wilco, like with the greatest shows of my life, that I think 9 11 was like a Tuesday. And Friday night, I saw Wilco play at like a small wow. 500 cap room. Jesus. And they played like all of the Yankee Hotel Fox Rock. And it was just like, like a a room of people grieving. It was like the most emotional show I've ever been to. It was amazing. I can't even imagine. Wow. Yeah. Oh, well, folks, Mississippi, you've heard us talk about it before. We're going to talk You'll about it some hear more us talk about it on again. some upcoming episodes. Uh, it's yes. one of but the greatest songs ever written. This version is also good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. This version, this version is, yeah. is that's, just a Because that's the O-1 solid. band. Like, that's the band that did exactly. the record. Washington, you know, D.C., you know November guys, 15th, 2001. Like, he only played this song 75 times. It's sort of like, what's up with that? Yeah. It's one of his greatest songs. It never plays it. I mean, he loves to do that. He's just write these fucking incredible, like, all-timer songs and then just sock them away and never play them for whatever reason or, like, very rarely play them. Well, that, um, that's a crazy thing is that, you know, we all talk about how Bob Dylan songs can change in our estimation and grow and become or become a little bit diminished in various ways. But it must be that way for Bob Dylan himself in ways that none of us could ever understand where he might like write a song that to us feels so monumental and to him yeah. maybe it's for strange reasons not the one that he feels drawn but to he say. knew because like he didn't let len Watt have this track like right. he, he kept it i'm like yeah i'm gonna keep this one yeah which was a Good great move. a great, great call move. on his part a lot yeah. of opportunities to have len Watt get that one and uh 
Lanois had to. And I, I like I like the two other Take versions, the but the one on Love and Theft is so much better. That's but that's that's one. one of the craziest exactly. things too about it is that this is one of the most well documented songs I think in terms of its development and all the different versions that are available. You really see this this song get worked on and yeah. and hammered out into like you know a, a rough stone into a a fine gem of a, a fine tune. cut and polished yeah. diamond exactly especially over time because like you know there's the cutting edge bootleg series where you see a zillion different versions of absolutely sweet marie or whatever but those all those were all cut like in the span of like four days right or those are However like attempts the, the recording session yeah those it, are like all stabs the same at something and then and then you just pick the best one and that's what you got this like evolved over years and stuff it's just it's it's really incredible and clearly the finished product was uh was well worth it. Um, Moving on along, Mississippi Summer Days. What a great version of Summer Days. It is, <laughs> yeah. And this is, I think, this is like the most played track of this record, right? This yeah, is, I, th- I think, it, the one that they still play. I think it's in the thousands, right? I, I can pull it up be. on the uh, the website right now. I've got it open in the background. Oh, almost eight hundred and eighty-five. It's got to be either this or Honest with Me. Those have to be the two most popular ones. This is eight hundred and eighty-five plays. Summer Days. This is a such a, a perfectly distilled version of like the thing he was going for. Like, I can't think of an, another song from the, not from the fifties that like evokes that feeling of like the fifties or like the late forties. Like, it just has this like absolutely crystal clear image of like bright shiny sports cars outside a diner. It's just like so yeah. sharp well, th- in my mind. This like, was what Bob. This is. I, I, yeah, to me, this is him like, like, flipping off the the Lenoir time out of mind lovers, right, like, right. oh, yeah, like, exactly. like, paint, painting him as this like, like people thought thought that was his swan song. Like, you know, he was fifty six when that record came out. He had the heart thing, and people were right. like, oh my god, he's at that store. And this record to me is Bob being like, hey, fuck you guys. I'm I think you're onto something there. Record. Especially because the song itself it has that throwback feel, and a lot of the praise he got for "Time Out of Mind" um, and "Oh Mercy" at the time too were like, "Wow, Bob sounds current. He sounds like he's yeah. with it again." And this song literally has the line: "They say you can't repeat the past. What do you mean you can't? Of course you can." Yes. <laughs> Boom. And fuck like, you. This does this record have the most Bob one-liners ever? Like this. This is the funniest record he ever put out. Oh God. Yeah, right? absolutely. Just wait till we get to Po' Boy. Like every fucking line yeah. in that is just a, like a like a punchline in a stand-up yes. set. Yeah, it's his Rodney uh, Dangerfield album. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I mean this song. This song kills. It's fun. I get why he plays it so much. Um, it's that you know jump blues, whatever. Got that kind of what is it like a Stray Cats vibe or something? I don't yeah, know what you call that. Yeah. Um, it's great. It's fun. I, to me, I wrote my notes on this song. It's like. Dylan has a jam band because it's got that, you know. Well, yeah, they, I had that question uh, on the Twitter. I was like, put a poll, like, is the Neverending Tour kind of a jam band? And people were like, no, but I don't, I think that but those it, guys they can like it. be. It's, there's overlap. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I think they're not a jam band because jam bands like import, like I do think a lot of the, the stuff with the Neverending Tour band, it's incredible. It's virtuosic. It's like absolutely hot shit fire, but I think but it's, it's arranged. It's a ra- Exactly. They kind of know what yeah. they're doing. It's not a different array, like a different solo, a different kind of, um, I don't know. Some of these versions, life. sometimes yeah. it get, this song in particular will get to points where like you it, kind it of zone out. Sure. Yeah, you forget absolutely. what song you're listening to. I think you're right, Ian. I, I think, like, in general, 
he's not a jam band. Like he knows no. you take a few solos here, but like if you watch show after show, it's, it's similar. It evolves, but like I think it's a thing. Right. Um, and that like yeah, I'm I as a musician, I'm the same way. Like our our band is the opposite of a jam band. There's no jamming. It's, everything is meticulously <laughs> arranged down down to the second. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, you you have some very intricate stuff in in your in your group, and yeah. Have uh, you guys ever tried great. to like completely like fuck with the song the way that Bob does, and like just completely no. remake it for a live uh, setting? No, <laughs> no. <laughs> I, it's hard enough to like pull them off. Like, how do how do we play this song? That's that's the hard part. No, yeah. Bob's on another level. Like, I, you know, uh, we're not as good. <laughs> no, nobody is. No one, no one is. can. No one can do what he does. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, like, no no, sh- nobody sounds. Sounds like this like the, like think of love and theft just as an album like can you name any other band that sounds anything like this like there's no there isn't no. Yeah. the closest thing is like leon redbone some of these guys can uh, uh, there's groups who sound like certain songs on this record but then that's their sound yeah right one one song yeah the range yeah. on this record is so just mind-blowing like all of the different moods and genres and energies that he can inhabit over the course of what 11 12 songs it's it's just i i my mind is still boggled it just makes the title all the more clever when you think about it and those big uh quotation marks around, around it. it yeah love and love theft. and theft i mean what the, <laughs> the music he loves is also just something to be ransacked that uh quote you know that people say of like great artists steal uh you know usually i feel like that's just like a silly like it doesn't mean much but um bob dylan is a good example of somebody who <laughs> yeah. does that no, he is and he, he and steals he said, it like, like a master a, thief and something he's like said i'm not a melodist i i pick a song that exists and i write new lyrics to it like that's right. his thing he's like okay that's his the way he does it yeah uh what do we got next by and by Breathing, I love this sigh. I love this song. I I don't think this song works live very well. Like this is a fairly straight rendition. It's right. another one they didn't play a ton, but it's a great song. I I love that song and the record, and I, I think they pull it off okay. I think, I think a lot of the songs, like you know how like there's like the jam quieter, jam quieter. I think the quieter ones in like the never ending tour setting are harder to pull off, especially the ones in this record that have the jokes. And I think to me that's why a song like this and Po Boy don't get played very often because right. it's it's hard to do it and then like the the crowd is like cheering the one-liners and i to me that's annoying like i, I can imagine bobby like shut up i'm trying to play a song why are you right. yelling at a line um yeah he that goes into I that noticed on a few of these tracks he gets into like a state sometimes where like the way he delivers a line it's almost like he's not really thinking about it as a joke anymore it's just like sounds and he's like forming mm-hmm. the vowels in this like mystical way, but then people are listening to it because they know I mean, the joke. Yeah, Bob has got to be a savant, right? Or he has like photographic memory. Like, how does he maintain those lyrics in his head? Has anybody talked about this? I have no idea. We we were talking about it a little bit. Tim Tim Heidecker, or we were we were tweeting with the other yeah. day, and he was asking like, does does he have like a teleprompter or anything up on stage? And as far as we know, the answer is no. Someone tweeted at us that he does have. Didn't you see this, Evan? Someone yeah, tweeted they had yeah. like yeah like a like a sometimes um, he has paper and a pen. Yeah, exactly. Some sort to of to actually and like pens. rewrite shit. Right. Yeah. So it's I don't know exactly what's on those pages. Uh, or if he's like actually scribbling out lines, you know, from tracks individually and rewriting lyrics like five minutes before he goes on on stage. Uh, but no, I think he's just kind of got it. 
I don't know, all all up yeah. there. I, it must be. Yeah. He's just he's you know it's some he's he's sharp as a tack. Uh, even even up until uh, uh, his 80th year, some 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 people are just with it uh, in ways that not all of us are. Uh, especially when they've yeah. written. He's got hundreds of songs uh that are between uh, some of which are you know uh, many of which are at 12 to 18 minutes long at this point he's got muscle memory for lyrics exactly we might not be as excited about this song as some of the others but i i know that if i was sitting there watching it i would have just like the biggest smile plastered on my face well i mean time. okay i'm sitting on my watch so i can be on be time. on time <laughs> i will put that uh, that is a pantheon line i will put that right up there with strike another match go start anew any day of the week yeah. that's an all-timer and I love the the vibe of this song like points to where he's going on both modern times and the covers records. Like I, right. I love that sort mm-hmm. of pre-World War II, the jazz chords. Like I, that's a great thing to me. Yeah. yeah. Nobody else does. Oh, you're talking to the two guys who you're probably in, do. You're in, you're in good company here, Steve. Uh, I, I got to give you guys props though. The, the Tim Heidecker episode was great. And like, this is maybe the only show ever that's had Ian Spinonius and Tim Heidecker on. So props to you guys. <laughs> that's the great thing well about done. Bob Dylan is he brings together such a wide variety of individuals all across, you know, from so many different fields and pursuits. Uh, you know, if there's nobody's one thing, better than him, so you can get anybody in the world because everybody looks up to him. If there's true. one thing yeah. that that can unite us all in these fractious political times, it's love of Bob it's Dylan. Bob. Yeah. Uh, by and by, uh, what do we got next? Okay, so we we took it down. Now we're now we're raving it right back up. Lonesome Day Blues uh, from 2014. So this is a more recent version here. This is a 2014 version uh, from Sweden, uh, July 15th, 2014. Yeah, this is a, this is a classic blues stomper. Very yeah, much, one the, of the most classic the most blues classic. stomper yeah. you can imagine. That's kind that. of the whole bit of this song. It yeah. seems like okay, how can I just like give you so much blues that your nose bleeds? Like I'm just gonna <laughs> blues it up so hard you won't even know what's coming for you. This yeah. is yeah. unrelenting I, I don't have much blues. Else to say. Uh, what I will say is like normally the blues stompers annoy me a little bit, but I like on this record they don't. Like I I love all these. Uh, the ones on this record. Like this is one of my only Bob records where. 12 out of 12. Every song, I love it. Absolutely. Um, and this one's interesting. Like, did you guys notice lyrically, doesn't this one have a couple, like, time out of mind? Doesn't he say, with my mind a million miles away and left my yes. longtime darling standing That's at the door? That's a good point, actually. I hadn't Wow, I, hadn't I didn't think about that, that either. That, you're totally right about that. Wow. It takes place in the time out of mind extended universe. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah, this song, I, I think we've also mentioned on the pod, is sort of, in my and Ian's estimation, kind of a spiritual precursor to something like um, early Roman kings, one right. of these uh, blues romper stompers that is uh, increasingly like a comedic form for him. Totally, this yeah. is just like an outlet to be goofy, and this song is kind of funny in how it's like so sad but all the lyrics are very sad but uh it's absolutely outrageously like silly yeah in its but, but he's done that forever like like bob's always been funny like going back to leopard skin pillbox hat he used the same blue stomper to be ridiculous that's always been his thing yeah that's a that's actually a very sad song about being cuckolded it's, an, it's not <laughs> oh, you know funny <laughs> i blew it on that one uh actually no great... he says i don't mind you cheating on me but I sure wish yeah. he'd take that off his head. Yeah. 
another great uh, line. This one's maybe not a, uh, a laugher, although it always makes me grin. I'm 40 miles from the mill. I'm dropping it, <laughs> dropping into, it overdrive. into overdrive. You know, that <laughs> relatable feeling. You know, everyone has everyone has been 40 miles from the mill. You've got to get to that mill. And you're just dropping it into overdrive. you got to get there. you got to get to the mill. This is the, the kind of thing that happens in Bob Dylan songs, like the characters who are trying desperately to get to a mill. Um, <laughs> that's the sort of the sort of world. We're do you guys? Yeah, do you? I, do you guys have any songs in which people are getting to mills no, uh, no, in the American no football canon? <laughs> no, we we got to work on that. No, but the the best ridiculous line is in, coming up in floater. I love the uh, my yes. grandfather was a duck <laughs> Yes. Uh, what? I, and then uh, she could like the thing about his he could do it with drag nets and ropes. My grandmother yes. could make new dresses out of old cloth. I don't know if they had any dreams know. or hopes. Dreams or hopes. Killer. <laughs> so, the, the greatest couplet ever. It's and so it's good. such a, a, a funny little, like, uh, just remark, just sort of whist, like a throwaway comment, just like, huh, I, I, I have no idea what my, like, old weird relatives, had, like, if they were anything like me. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting to think about, I guess. <laughs> then he and, just moves and on. That- isn't the isn't that the one where he allegedly ripped off the or probably not allegedly like sold the lines from the Japanese novel yeah, or whatever? Yeah. Yes, yeah. Exactly. I think that's what those are. But like, who cares? They're great. <laughs> oh, the, the author himself actually was was like, I'm honored, frankly. Yeah, yeah. which is what yeah, you he, would, he was into it. Well, that's what that's, that's the, the right, right approach answer. to take. Yeah, if Bob Dylan thinks that, you know if he's struck by something that you've done or put out there and it and it you know lights a little fire in his mind and he ends up putting it into a song, however many years down the line, you're just that's that's blessed. That's incredible. That's yeah. I wonder how many artists don't even know that Dylan played them on uh, Theme Time Radio Hour because like I've been listening to a ton of that and he'll play stuff that you would never expect like. He was just like, that was bangs, but they might be giants. This this is a song about bangs. He's probably been like, another song by a group about sports, American football. (laughs) He could have done it and he might not know. I would know this. No, I would know. But yeah, you're right. Like The fact that Buck Meek is in his band, I'm like, oh, he's listening to Big Beef? Like, what happened? Oh, yeah. yeah, How does this happen? I was surprised uh, that he didn't have... um, that he didn't know Blake Mills, yeah, yeah, yeah. That would have been yeah. sick. Would have liked Blake to see might have that. had uh, other other engagements. Oh, sorry, Bob what? Dylan, I can't uh, perform with you right now. <laughs> uh, well, let's get let's uh, let's let's float on down to floater uh, down uh, down the Rebel Rivers. Um, we got uh, this is another early cut here. I love I kind of I really like how this this uh, this comp like kind of goes back and forth between yeah and the, and the ten, don't forget the Tennessee. Um, which which year is this from? Uh, this is two thousand one. Uh, you know, so okay. we get some we get some relatively recent stuff, and we get some stuff yeah. that came out. This was like two. This was November twenty first, two thousand one. This is you know nine weeks yeah. after the record I, came I out. I saw this. I saw this same tour. I was at like the October Chicago show of this tour. Hell yeah! Um, it was great. I, yeah, I mean, I I love that band. Is like my like I like I think that two thousand like the band that played on this record maybe Bob's most versatile band. Like the way they can play any style yep. is sort of mind-blowing. Yeah, I think that that era of the band when he had Larry and Charlie uh, on guitar together, they, you know, they didn't overlap for too long, but I think like that is sort of like, that is it. That is the peak, peak, peak moment yeah. of the entire Never Ending Tour. That's one of the special things about the Never Ending Tour group is um, in so many forms, like it's guys who can play anything versus guys who are just blues guys. 
So they'll mm-hmm. play the blues like flawlessly, but there's some kind of almost imperceptible sometimes just angle where you can tell that they're doing it like not in an ironic way or like, but, but with this kind of extra play yeah. and creative energy that like it comes through and just makes it yeah, feel they so know much the more blues, three-dimensional. But they also know Talking Heads and Fugazi and whatever else. Too. They, right. yeah, they get it. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah, floater, great line. There's some, there's an awesome little uh, little crowd reaction in this live version uh, when he's doing the Juliet and Romeo thing. Romeo, we said to Juliet, you got a poor complexion. It doesn't give your appearance a very youthful touch. Juliet said back to yeah, Romeo, yeah. why don't you just shove off if it bothers you so much? And a bunch, a bunch of people in the crowd like cheer and whoop and I know. holler. I, I love know. that. The, it's the so wooing. good. See, to me, it annoys me. I don't know why. Like that. That's I'm like, oh, you see, you guys, that's why Bob doesn't play the song anymore. Yeah. Quit wooing. <laughs> Just the idea of like people get, like getting into uh, a lyric from Floater uh, that this is, much. To this is old people. Like it. this it's is like... this is a thing with old folks. I I've been going to a lot this uh, last month um, to see movies at Film Forum uh, in uh, the West Village, and they've been doing like a Humphrey Bogart festival. And so it's like me and, you know, 90% of the crowd is just like people who are above 60 or 70 and they laugh. Yeah, very they similar laugh. to the audience at a box. They laugh at lines that are just like mildly clever, you know, <laughs> it's just like, like it's the funniest thing they've ever heard. Like people just in Casablanca just watch like he'll, Rick will make some like offhand sort of clever jo- comment. And this guy in front of me was just like, he was dying. He thought it was the funniest thing he's They're ever They're so heard. easily delighted. We we should all be so lucky as to find that much joy and just simple That'll be us when we're when we're septuagenarians. You we'll just so? be like listening back to Bob Records, just going. <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys have seen Bob more recently than me. Like I saw Bob, I don't know, eight or ten times between '99 and '07, give or take. And and then I haven't seen him since. Like I started having kids, and that's just like I'm out. I'm out. Yeah, hard hard did, to get go. out in that case. Yeah, um, uh, I've only seen him like, once like, in is it, 2018. Okay, I see him twice. I was gonna say because you guys are young. That's what part of what I love about the show is like, you guys are the next generation of Bob heads. Like I'm, you know, there was you know the boomers, and then I'm I am like the youngest Gen Xer, and you guys are. Somewhere in the, the middle of the middle of the range of millennials. Not you're quite fully the no. Okay. You're you're like fully right in the middle millennial. I'm I was born in '94, so yeah, I'm, I guess well, it's two years. Yeah, yeah. No, you're in, you're almost a geriatric millennial. Yeah. You know? Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> you're enjoying yourself. Over there. I'm just using the the terminology. But you guys are young. You're young bobheads to me, at least. Yes, which I, I think like, we are relative to like the the scene. I guess pretty young. Yeah. 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 It has yeah. been kind of fun, like getting into the like kind of the deeper Bob online fan community. Everyone in like the Twitter circle. Every you know, day they, we get deeper and deeper, deeper, and and the expecting rainheads, and then other people on other podcasts and stuff. And it's all yeah. just like you know old bobcats you know (laughs) we we started out the show just like making jokes like like bob like uh, bob's the goat and and now we're like earnestly tweeting stuff like you know uh, he actually is (laughs) this is one of the greatest albums of all time like it has um this is one of the most empathetic portraits of the american soul just saying stuff like that now, now we're earnestly podcasting about a 2015 version of a song from a 2001 album, and saying that it has unlocked an entire another dimension, as with Tweedly Dumb and Tweedly D on this. That's right. Yeah, but you guys have gone hardcore. You guys are you guys are out there saying down the groove kills. 
and I well, can't back you on that. Yeah, Kills? Well, Did we say that? Couple songs on Down in the Groove, Joe. I, I, I don't know. Just we gave it general, one out of three like, stars. I, I have, so. Did you? Okay. I have my Bob blind spots, but like the 80s, I'm still mostly out on. Well, that's why we exist. Like, you got to listen to a back catalog. You're turning me on to some, some records I've missed. Like I've there listened to every record enough to be like, this one, uh, not so much. But every record still has a couple of great tracks. The funny thing yeah. is, if you listened back to our old episodes about those ones that you have a little bit less familiarity with, we we probably are like harsher on them th- then than we would be now. A year per- later, yeah. presumably, yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, there are there are some absolutely tip top high notes in the eighties: "Tight Connection," "Brownsville Girl," "Dark Eyes," yes. uh, "Pressing All Line. Those tracks. Uh, yes, but those songs you know, all kill. There is a Those lot records. of sludge to wade to wade wade through. Yeah, trouble uh, but, you know, on uh, shot of love. Trouble, trouble. Bow wow, that's a dog if I've ever heard one. That's a, that's a lead balloon right there. Uh, yeah, fingers crossed on this new uh, bootleg series though. I think that's gonna. I think that'll 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 really uh, give us a lot of good material to uh, to recontextualize his '80s output with. Next. Um, Floater into boy, high water, baby. High water, man. For Charlie Patton. Love the so before we even talk about the song, love the intro to this song. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. In this, this is live, the one he talks. He talk talks shit on the country western yeah. act that <laughs> had played wherever he was the night prior. This was uh, this was Ann Arbor, Michigan, November seventh, two thousand two. Uh, he asked the crowd. Um, well, maybe we can just drop the clip in right here. Anybody seen that country, uh, country western show last night? Yeah. <laughs> And as I'm going to ask you now, could Hank Williams Jr., could he wipe the floor with all those people? <laughs> Some of them even had a t-shirt on his picture. Uh, but yeah, so he's he's talking about uh, uh, them wearing Hank Williams Jr. T-shirts, right? And and how he could mop the floor with them and stuff. It's just it, he doesn't he doesn't. I, Wait, doesn't I, he I do... say that Hank Williams Jr. could mop the floor with all those other country acts? Well, yeah, the country acts who were wearing T-shirts of Hank Williams Jr. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I wish he would. You know, uh, if there if there were one thing that I could I could pull forth from him, elicit from him, just a few more of these. You know, kind of between song. Uh, uh, quips, I think, would be a lot of fun. Uh, not that I dislike anything about his absolute derision for the audience and refusal to interact with them whatsoever. I think that's equally great. Uh, but you know, anytime you get these little little insights into what's going on, or it's it's so much fun. I'm not sure what he was getting at. I have to re-listen to that uh, remark. Was he shitting on the audience, or was he shitting on the on on Hank Williams Jr. on or? the country western act? That had worn a t. Someone in the band oh. had worn a and, t-shirt and, of and Hank Williams Jr. Jr. could wipe the floor with that act. Could wipe the floor with that act. Exactly. I see. He's yeah. just saying like these fucking people. They, yeah, they don't, I, they don't know country western music. Anyways, yeah. I, I tried to re-listen to Bob's like whatever he was saying on this, and like right at the beginning of the track, some fan yells, "Maggie's farm," yeah. and I'm like, <laughs> "Oh, that set him off." Know, <laughs> I, I feel bad for that person. Like the person in the audience yelling, "Maggie's farm," I'm like, "What do you?" What? That probably. The show. What are you doing? What are you doing? Yeah, Bob. Maybe you know, I've heard that, but it, it, he he sensed that there was some something corny happening, and then he felt he had to just yeah. say something mean. <laughs> I, I feel bad for that person because it's like Bob just right. put out like the best record that he's put out in a lo- well, whatever time of mine was not that long before, but a brilliant record, and you're sitting here yelling. Maggie's Farm. Maggie's Farm. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, it's the guy in 1966 who's yelling. Um, uh, 
for him to play Ballad in Plain D. <laughs> right. Oh boy. Uh High Water, what a song. What a version too. I like the I increasingly find myself liking live versions of the song more than oh, yeah. the, the record. Killer one. killer swagger and groove yes. on this track. It absolutely falls into that stomping. that category of like the absolutely hard boiled no fucks given type of badass Bob yeah. songs. I feel like th- this is like Bob's, this is where he likes to be live. Like this, this type of a groove is yeah. like, his, that's his sweet spot. Yeah. You can see. And I, was, I actually too. saw this tour too. I was at the week before this in Chicago. You see his tiny little, uh, 80 year old body just sort of like jerking with the, with, with the, the fiery fury that still like <laughs> burns in his heart. It really like is an ageless thing. He still can get pissed. My favorite line in this track is the, uh, as great as you are, man, you'll never be greater than yourself. I told her I didn't really care. (laughs) (laughs) Go, go Bob. Well, fucking hard. Uh, uh, mine uh, just if we're if we're reeling off favorite lines because why not there's so many favorite lines George Lewis told the Englishman the Italian and the Jew don't open up your mind boys to every conceivable point of view they got yes. Charles Darwin trapped out there on Highway 5 judge says to the high sheriff I want him dead or alive either one I don't care this song is Man. a lot of I don't care a lot of, <laughs> a lot of a lot of don't care this one again also just like completely of the moment i think like absolutely just like seeing the future nostradamus kind of thing like high like just in in the country in that time and in all of the years since high water like literally high water rising and figuratively high water it's just i I don't know there's something about this song that feels like it's like deeply tapped into some sort of like like dark like psychic truth yeah yeah lies this dark entire nation. dark psychic truth uh that's why my favorite line is i'm getting up in the morning i believe i'll dust my broom <laughs> or i asked i asked fat nancy for something to eat eat she said take it off the shelf <laughs> there's a uh some like fan bootleg record called dust my broom <laughs> that i saw dust my broom. dust my broom bob's I, hilarious I do. I do have to say, I do kind of miss the, you know, the, just the absolutely like the battle drum band. Well, the ba- yeah, the rolling battle the drums and then the banjo. Yeah. Exactly. The, yeah. ban- the, yeah, the banjo from the, the record banjo. is so fucking good. Yeah, um, that that's like that is one thing. I listening all of these live tracks were amazing, but I also like like Bob is quoted as saying like, oh, you know, my albums are whatever. Like the best version of all my song is is just some random live take, and that's generally true. But I I felt listening to these, I'm like. It almost, except for maybe the first one, the, the album version is better. Like the album, I think those album versions on Love and Theft are really perfect, which is insane because like that yeah. record was recorded in 12 days. They did a song a day for 12 days, the end, basically live. I think they just cut everything live. And that's sort of mind blowing, especially coming off of Time Out of Mind. Time Out of Mind. And it must have been so like refreshing, I would imagine, too. Totally. Obviously, yeah. like, you know, as we heard. He's from- like. I'm I'm going back to how we did it in the '60s. I'm just yeah. gonna do it do it live and you know take a few takes and we got it. I mean we'll that's it that's and, such a and it worked out pretty well. A distinction. I, I for... disagree with Bob on Lanois. I if if Daniel Lanois wants to produce our next record, he's hired in a heartbeat. <laughs> <laughs> the man is an all-time genius. But the way that Bob Dylan thinks, it seems, is uh, 
like you you couldn't have it any other way. Him saying like, well, the, the some of the live versions are better. Of course, he thinks that because right. he has to. Even the way he produces records, it's just like they get in the room, they put it out, they leave four great, amazing songs on the cutting room floor, and then he moves yeah, on to the, the next thing. Song. <laughs> yeah, and so he's like a shark. He just like has to keep moving. It's right. I don't think he's he's not the sentimental type. Uh, so no, these not, songs yeah, yeah. are living, breathing things that that have to be given life, like again and again. For the him, music isn't something that's like assembled piece by piece in some sort of you know on a on a you know mixing deck or in software. It's just it's something that exists out there in the world, and it's it's the duty of the band and the recording engineer to just capture it. Like and it's that's not built. It's just it's there already, and you just got to press record at the right time and you get it on the tape. Capture the magic, lightning in a bottle. But that's not to say that the other way of producing and creating music has any less uh, valid validity. Of course not. Especially like your group. I mean, American football is like a a band that has so many wonderful and like basically the, the other side of rock music, in my opinion, where things are orchestrated and set into place very deliberately and create these unforgettable moments that are, you know, re- repeatable and, and, and don't do what other types of, it's like each band doing uh, the thing that only that band can do is kind of how other groups operate. I'm and, guessing uh, though that that the first record, Steve, correct me if I'm wrong, Steve, but like as young as you guys were, like I, I, that that strikes me as more of a record where you guys kind of just went in and turned on the recorder and just yeah, like, I mean what that you one got was, what was you got. literally live takes. Yeah, I mean what you hear was basically you know first, second, third take, and then we would double the guitars and move on, and we did right. the whole record in five days. But but yeah, I and thank you for that, Evan. That's nice of you. I, I I don't know what to say about my own band. <laughs> we can only do, we can only do our own thing, which is uh, you know whatever our own weird thing is. Um, but Bob could not do what you do. That's just a fact. Well, I mean, I, <laughs> not that yes. he would have any interest. He would not he, want to. Yeah, no, he would not want to. <laughs> this is this is just the wonderful variety of art and music. Exactly. Yeah, there's a spectrum. Yeah, and, and Bob's not going to make a Brian Eno record, and yeah, there's a space for everything. He can't make a Steve Reich record, so. Yeah, the closest he got is the, the uh, don't don't be uh, so quick to say that though he he could do an ambient maybe, album. Okay, maybe he could. <laughs> you know what? You really turned me around on this one. What what if uh you know um the last track on Rough and Rowdy? What if what if uh, Murder Most Foul is just like you know the the sort of taste of the next record type of closer, where the next one is only like beautiful flowy piano shit. Right. With, with well, like but no you know structure. What I was gonna say, though, you, you made me think, Evan, like. Interestingly, I think the, I can't think of the guy's name, but whoever the engineer and the mix engineer was for Love and Theft, Modern Times, and Rough and Rowdy, same guy. And he right. did those three records and those three records only. The guy that wasn't only. there for Tempest. Right. Yes. Which is and what everyone says. Those are the three best records of Bob's, I guess, latter third of his career. <laughs> now that's that it's 20 point. years. Yeah. So, Maybe acting so is there's something the, to be said. Acting is the Svengali. Uh, that uh, Lanois was, but with a lighter touch, perhaps. Maybe just making sure that Bob is doing everything that he needs to do to get what Bob wants without, um, you know, going going too far and putting too he- heavy of a hand on the uh, on the sound of things. All I need is to see Jack Frost's name on that label. 
Right. But <laughs> he, uh, Jack Frost actually was absent for uh, Rough and Rowdy Ways. He's uh, not credited. Was he? Hmm, yeah. Took a sabbatical. Uh, what do we got next? Moonlight. What a pretty song. Yeah. Yeah. This one has, I think, is Bob playing an organ? There's like an organ sound on this one. It's not on I most of the live tracks. think so. Yes. Yeah. I'm looking at the credits. They've got credits, you know, the whole band's listed. This is a 2008 cut, it looks like, from Austria, Salzburg, Austria. Uh, Bob yes, is it is an organ. Vocal, keyboard, and harmonica. Yeah. It's, a, it's an organ sound, anyway. Organ yeah. sound, yeah. This one, it's a cool, like, different vibe. It's got, like, a weird lilt that the record doesn't have. And, uh, Bob does a kind of a half-assed harmonica solo on this one, which I don't think they fully arranged. He does that uh, great uh, vocal tick that he sometimes does where he ends a line with, and something sweet and melodious tone. Yeah, he just crams the entire line into the last yeah. two beats what? of the of the music. I mean, the, the thing where he lifts up the last line, like in this uh, strange way, <laughs> totally. it just goes up. You know what I noticed? This is not anything about Moonlight, but just on the the live pictures I had on the on the uh, the main page for this thing is like Bob does not wear inner ear monitors. I don't think. Have you guys noticed this? Is that no? He does that a documented think. fact. That's a good point. How, yeah, I haven't. How, how is how in is the he studio? Not that, like, he famously like doesn't even like like they they just don't even he doesn't like to even see microphones. Like I've heard yeah. that. That but I, like it's in like the stage sound and using like actual stage monitors to hear his vocals for, you know, sixty years of touring. That's sort of mind blowing that he can still yeah. hear and and hear himself well enough to to sing on key. His hair picks up the vibrations, <laughs> <laughs> and the hat works in a similar. It's got to be. It's got to be the hair of the hat. Yeah, there's yeah. yeah, there's there's a very uh, sophisticated radio apparatus <laughs> under underneath the the dome of these hats. That's why he's always wearing them these days. No, no, he just wears the hat sometimes, and then he takes it off. when he can't hear himself. He takes the hat off, and then his antennae and his hair sort of uh, feel I it see. out. You know, he goes, <laughs> "All right, I, it's getting a little hard to hear. Got to take the hat off." <laughs> Must be. Um, yeah, moonlight, and uh, you know, another slower, more uh, kind of. Torch, uh, torch ballad sort of song, uh, pointing the direction towards all of the covers records, um, and toward just, modern times as well, and towards modern times, very much so. Um, you know, this is uh, absolutely of a piece with uh, "Spirit on the Water" or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Just such a pretty song, bunch of classic kind of, just like the most like American kind of sounding lyrics you can imagine. The air is thick and heavy all along the levee, or the geese yeah. into the countryside have flown. Meet me in the moonlight alone. It, this is like a, it's a feel song. It's about the cadence of the delivery more right. than the words. Like to me, this is all, it's all vibe. Yeah, hundred percent. And there's Very not a lot of, um, it's not a jokey song really. It's just a purely straight, uh, pretty picture of a, of a song. And I love that about Love and Theft that it's not as ironic or as um, sort of winking as it can be. It's also fully equally as interested in just being like, you know, I, I'm not trying to always be uh, like a prankster here. I'm trying to just make yeah. a beautiful thing. Yeah, it's equally winking and wistful. Yeah, exactly. It's in touch with all of the all of the, the facets of the spirit and the soul. Speaking of all the facets of the spirit and the soul, honest with me. Yeah. 
Boy, and this, what a I, I love, I love this. This was the latest, right? This is the 2019. 2019, yeah. In fact, this is, I think this was the last or second to last show before COVID, right? Yeah, yeah, because this is, yeah, December 3rd, 2019. So this would have been during that Beacon run that he always does at the end of the year in New York. So yeah, this was, yeah, would have been one of the very last shows, if not the absolute yeah. last one. And it's a totally different arrangement. Like the, the take on the riff is like, they just, oh, let's just totally redo the song. Yeah, let's awesome. just write Love a whole it. new song and then just yeah. like spit the same lyrics over over the music, like in the same-ish general pattern, but still not exactly. Yeah, and this one's got to be up in the near thousand. This is another one of his long running from this record. Yeah, yeah, he has. Yeah, you're you're totally right. All of the you know kind of rave up rockers are the big plays on this one. Honest with me, Lonesome Day Blues, and or excuse me, Honest with Me and uh, High Water are both in the seven hundreds, and then Lonesome Day uh, was almost at nine hundred. Uh, but what? I think those three are the you know okay. the, the three most popular. So many. What commonly? What played. I love about these is it shows that like. Like, I think people, like, make a lot about Bob rearranging his earlier classic 60s tracks. But it shows, like, he does that with all of his tracks. Like, this is this record is now old enough that he has totally rewritten half or more of these songs, yeah. the ones he keeps playing. And uh, I love that. That's just his thing. Yeah, the intent of this song still comes through, though, in this version, anyway. He doesn't uh, make this one into a, a ballad. This is totally no. full-force Gale. Like, he's got, I mean, some of the lines in this are just ridiculous like uh some things are too terrible to be true there's also i'm stark naked but i don't care i'm going off into the woods i'm hunting bear my woman got a face like a teddy bear and maybe the killer of all of them well my parents they warned me not to risk my years and i still got their advice oozing out of my ears (laughs) but what's great is like so this track is the latest of this comp 18 years later than the 2001 cuts, right? So we've got a span of 18 years for this mm-hmm. album and it's not noticeably, like it doesn't stand out as like, oh my God, this is way later than these other tracks. Right. Like it fits right in. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, God, it's so wild. It, it, you know, it, we, everyone just thinks of like, oh yeah, the later day records, Love and Theft, Modern Times, Tempest, and uh, Rough and Rowdy now. But the, yeah, these records have spanned like two careers of a band yeah. basically 20, 20 years, years. yes oh, oh my god i looked this up this is mind-blowing so bob since 1980 has put out more records than you too <laughs> like the biggest Period. fan of that <laughs> like he put out 20 records and they put out 16 records it's like what that's and, ridiculous and you too is a, is a group that tried to i think it, it, you could say that it's to their detriment you know have always like struggled and often succeeded to be relevant in a in sound and to really they chased the Lanois dragon you know that's their career <laughs> yes. and it where does it leave you it leaves you forcing people to listen to your music by putting it on their iphone <laughs> automatic download on iPhones, still yeah. on my phone uh-huh you don't have uh i'm, I'm just i mean i, I like you too a lot but I'm I don't know how. Guy, I don't know just, how long I, I they're going to be. I have been reading Lenoir's book, so I've been doing homework on other stuff in his sure oeuvre or whatever. And uh, yeah, I just happened to notice. I'm like, oh, I bet Bob's put out more records than they have in their entire career in, since they were a band. Since and he they has. started, You're t- yeah, God. yeah, and, and he, he had already had two and a half full careers before they even started. Right. As yeah, a right. Like most, most the traditional people would say, oh, by 1980, Bob's best stuff was long behind him. Not true, but that's the tr- you know that's how most people think of his career oddly i think i feel like that's how bob thinks of his career sometimes like do you do you think he recognizes how brilliant some of his later albums are 
I I think so. Yeah. I mean, I because I as as like committed as he is to touring, like because he doesn't have to be that. That's the the thing that always floors me. I've I've said this before. I'm I'm sure on the show, but like he he's 80 years old. He probably has a billion dollars. He like he could just fuck off and go do whatever yeah, totally. the hell he wants with his family or with some you know beautiful new wife or you know any uh, previous you know he could just do whatever whatever he wants to do and he still chooses at eighty years old to be writing new songs going into the studio recording them putting out records and then obviously when we're not in the middle of the fucking pandemic touring across the entire world like there's like he. He, it's in him like that this is what he has to do. This is how he lives his life. And, and I, I think he, I would assume that he knows that, you know, it, it, he's still, I, he's still pretty damn sharp. I just rewatched No Direction Home, like for the first time since it came out. And it, like, it, it made me think like, I forgot first, I forgot how much Talking Head Bob is in that. It's phenomenal. Yes. Yeah. But um, he, he has the reverence for the sixties in that, that everyone else has. Like, I feel like he is like, yeah, of course the sixties, that's my great stuff um in a way that like i feel like as a as a hardcore bob fan i think all of us are by like contrarians by nature right and so we're like yeah those records are great but these records are just as good just <laughs> maybe as good. better not, some of them well better. he yeah. still he plays stuff from all these more modern uh records you know pretty relentlessly yeah, oh and so i think yeah. that yeah there must be i do think about and that's that, why he, you know he like said, what is because because we exist people in the you know my age and your guys age and like everywhere in between is like he's like oh, i got fans that need new records i'm gonna keep writing songs yeah, yeah. Like that's and he he i i do think about that like pretty often you know like doesn't he get sick of some of these songs and it seems like no because he recognizes which ones are like there's always enough to keep the fans happy and to keep him interested that's like part of him having this huge well of music is that that balance is somehow always struck there's it never goes like some acts i'm sure that balance gets struck out of whack and there the artist is no longer able to be interested in their old stuff and the fans are like you know their their interest wanes or waxes with the new material right. it always works out with but I, I feel like 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 i feel like he could get away with playing never playing all along the watchtower or like a rolling stone ever again and most right. people who go see him wouldn't care is that true <laughs> maybe i'm just in my own headspace and i feel like because i'm like i could do without those songs i've seen them I, enough, I, don't, I don't care i'm totally with you i think we were just mentioning this the other day like if i never hear a, a blown in the wind again live I yeah, yeah i don't need to in the see wind, it. i'm i'm yeah. okay but like that's the thing like even with shadow shadow kingdom i think is the perfect example yeah. like he can pull out he got um, that pledging, yeah. pledging my time which is like like you know in any other artist's career especially when it came out like that that's maybe an all-time song like you know hit number 1 on your on your Spotify most played list or whatever and for him it's just it's a song he hasn't played since 1999 and he can throw it out and people should know you know you would think that some fans obviously we all know everything that's going on but like even people who are a little more casual or somewhat more casual are going to be like oh yeah I know this one I don't really remember what it's called but I I've heard this one yeah. before I know it's I know it's some of the old stuff that I, I you know It was really a great liked. great song selection I loved uh, Queen Jane was killer. Yes. What, what was it you wanted was killer. Hey, that's yeah, that's that a song that I think even in the Bob uh, fan community, people are still trying to figure out uh, what was it you wanted is one that I think very much, uh, as we said before, kind of flows up under the radar yeah. um, on on the album it came out on. And, spooky um, track. It's a very spooky, and I think a case could be made one of the more like candid and personal seeming tracks of his career that it like, 
it it seems to be like a window into like his whatever his like romantic relationship or his relationship with his fans might be like yeah yeah well that's the dichotomy which is it and it's probably both yeah Yeah, very weird emotional territory that is being mined on that song and yeah definitely fun to think about oh mercy uh you know shockingly kind of personal record between that and most of the time and what good am i uh, and it's a real so, dark night of the soul type of record. Yeah, exactly. as my no- number ten made the top ten. Love that record. Big Lanois, Big Lanois fans, all all of us here. Fanois, yeah, fan, yeah, fan, Dan fans, <laughs> <laughs> in more ways than one. Um, okay, we're coming in. Uh, we're coming in close here towards the end. You know, okay, so we talked about Mississippi. You know, obviously, maybe one of the greatest songs he's ever written, if not the greatest. But at the same time, like. There are days, Po Boy. Boy there are days oh when Po Boy is my number one song on all of Love and Theft. Can, can I tell you guys about Po Boy? So, please, this you guys were in grade school, so you don't know this. So, when this <laughs> record came out, Napster was a thing, like, and so I had somehow ripped Po Boy, like that was the song that was available before this record <laughs> that was came the out. One and that was the one, and I like lived with that for months before the record, and I loved that song so much, and I was kind of like, whoa, where? What is this record going to be? It was so good, and like. I had also I was in a big Leon Redbone kick, and I'm I might be the only person alive who still loves Leon Redbone. Either of you guys? No. Um, I don't know. Okay. When, when you get through Bob, the next podcast, we'll do a Leon Redbone podcast. But um, so he mines like all the pre World War II, you know, jazz and blues and ragtime right. and stuff. Um, and this was like in that style, but a new song, which I, I'd never heard. <laughs> that was not a thing that existed. And so it was sort of mind blowing. I was like, oh, I was so into that track. And then uh, just, you know, beyond ecstatic for the record when it came out. And there was, you know, floaters sort of in that vein, but like that was the only one that's kind of that specific thing. Exactly. Yeah. If this is your first taste of the record and this is the only song you're hearing, you're like, oh, wow, this is going to be a really interesting record. And then you get the record and it's, it really is kind of the only one that's like this, at least in terms of the spirit and also kind of the like, the, like, you know, we talked about uh, all of the different energies and, and moods that he swings between on this record from song to song. Within this yeah. song, he's going back and forth from literally telling knock knock jokes to yeah. some really touching, incredible lines. There's that one about it's, his uncle yeah. taking him in uh, when my mother died. My uncle took me in. He ran a fu- funeral parlor. He did a lot, a lot of nice things for me, and I won't forget him. Like it's just, it's just like shockingly personal and tender sounding line, yeah. at least whether or not that's actually true. No, it's, it's probably yeah, like, just a plot from, line from a movie from 1947, right? Yeah, a Marx, a Marx Brothers movie. No, he <laughs> gives he gives these like Marx Brothers one liners, and then gives you time and love has brand, you know branded me with its claws. Like oh man, that's that. That cuts deep. Like, he's so good. And, and then, yeah, how much you want for that? I, uh, I'm going to the store. The man says $3. All right. right. Will you take four? Will you take four? Yeah. Never. It yeah. Never and of course, the immortal Freddie or not. The references, the three little pigs, maybe. <laughs> like, yeah. this, this song is hilarious. It's, and it's don't, all over and the don't, place. Don't forget the Shakespeare reference. Othella told Desdemona, yeah. I'm cold, cover me with a blanket. By the way, what happened to that poison wine? She says, I gave it to you. You drank it. It's just great line. He just crams it in. Like, it yeah. does not fit into the cadence at all but he makes it work build yeah. your house out of mortar and bricks yeah uh, and this yeah. version um which is from what year in 2004 i think uh 2004 yeah oh this was my year i saw bob four times in a row on this store i'll uh, tell you about that what uh, what and, were some of those shows like steve so th- those shows were amazing he did um it was like reverse order he went from like the biggest to the smallest so it started at the aragon 
which is a, a huge standing room only like theater. It's got to be, I don't know, six or 8,000 cap. Sure. Uh, but it was all standing. So I, I got insanely close. That was a great show. And then he did the Riviera Theater, which is like 3,500. Then the Vic Theater, which is like 1,200. And then the Park West, which is, I don't know, five or 800. And, and uh, wow. as the closest I've ever been, like Bob, like his sweat could have hit me. I'm, I'm like two people back, Bob's side. And it was the greatest show I've ever seen in my life. You have to wear a poncho. You're in the the splash zone. He played everything. He played, except for Po' Boy, actually. (laughs) But he played, like, uh, such a killer set. I remember, like, he opened with Tangled Up in Blue into Don't Think Twice, and he was doing that killer harmonica outro Mm -hmm. in that. Uh, We got Silvio, Deep Cut, Dignity, (laughs) Shooting Star, Man in the Long Black Coat. Like, that was, to this day, the greatest show I've ever seen. You're speaking our language there with Dignity. Yeah. Dignity. Never been never, photographed. You know, never been photographed. <laughs> oh, yeah. I see this. Yeah. This is so crazy. So he did th- four nights in Chicago all like right in a row. March 5th, 6th, 7th, and yep. 8th. Aragon, yep. Riviera, Vic, and then the Park West. That's incredible. Yeah. I caught every one of those. Jesus. God damn. And are that last a, show was just killer. Are you yeah, a, a, a fan of – um, are you a fall fan? Do you like the fall? Yeah. I, I almost had that moment with, with seeing the fall. I had never gotten to see them and they were going to do a residency at um, a club in, in New York. And I got tickets to see all five in a row and then uh, Marky Smith died. So I didn't get oh, to him. No. Oh, so, terrible. That was like uh, me and Lou. I, he, he was scheduled to go out on the road in like 2013. I think they booked him to play Coachella and he was going to play um, a show in Los Angeles, like at <sighs> one of the theaters downtown, I think the Jeez. Orpheum. And I think it's that. And I was going to Coachella that year. And so I was going to see Lou, you know, like back to back over the course of like, you know, three nights or something and then canceled the tour. And then, you know, six, eight weeks later, it was just that was it. I don't know if it was six or eight weeks. Maybe it's a couple of months. I forget some amount of time after, but yeah, that was that's maybe the biggest miss of my entire life. I'm glad that we've all been able to see Bob. Uh, yeah, and that he's still he's still putting out incredible live yeah. performances. I mean, it makes me realize I need to get back on the horse. Like, assuming he books more shows, I yeah. have to go see him again. It's been too exactly. Long. Yeah. I, the, even even if he only I've, uh, the, even if he only plays shows like at the if he just decides I'm going to do a run of shows at the Beacon or something, you know, uh, late November, December or something like I'm in San Francisco now. I will fucking like buy a plane ticket and fly across the country, even if we're in the middle of another fucking Delta wave or whatever. And like I'm going to be there for whatever the next show is. Oh, uh, um, po boy, two more. Cry a while. Maybe the biggest, well, I guess maybe not the biggest, one of the biggest rearrangements in this composition, uh, this version of Cry a while on this, uh, this live oh, yeah. comp here. Oh, yeah. This one, I laughed because it sounds like at the beginning, I thought someone was playing If You Ever Go to Houston. Like, you know, that like <laughs> yes. riff. I'm like, somebody's playing the wrong song. What's happening? <laughs> like, doesn't it sound like that? It does. <laughs> like, what is yeah. going on? Yeah. Great song, by the way, If You Ever Go Great to Houston. Song, yeah. Love that song. Like, we I was both... like somebody's on the wrong song, but they're not. No, they they just totally rearranged it. Yeah, yeah. if you ever cry a while. What year is this again? This is 2012, I think. So well, this is I, I really like that we're getting Tempest a big, era. a long uh, range sort of retrospective of on this. But I yeah, cry so... for you. He does. Yeah. yeah. This one, the arrangement has this like like did it did like this build, and he crams the whole line into that build like it. Nasty dirty up across the back damn morning. You know what I have to be dealing with? But I do be you. And I give me a 
He's like a nasty, nasty dirtle double cross and backstabbing phony. I didn't with like that whole thing. Yeah, like, he just yes, removes so all of the spaces in the sentence yeah. he puts into it's all just it's one, one word. word. Yeah, like yes. supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Exactly like that. Um, and th- this uh, era, 2012. I mean, the whole Tempest era. I'll say nothing about Tempest right now, but I will say that it's it's one of the most fascinating eras in terms of just like him doing some really out there stuff with the with the phrasing and his voice. I, well, I wonder, like, I I think I'd have to go look at the tour record, but like, was he touring like an insane number of shows? I feel like whenever they recorded Tempest, he had played too many shows. His voice is blown out. Like that's part of the reason I could never get into that record. Is like he's a little. That's the most blown his voice sounds on record, maybe. That no, that's, that's what I like partly about <laughs> That's why you like it. Okay. I think that the record embraces that. Um, but uh, I see I, I see that criticism leveled at it pretty often. Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah. But but because of your love, Evan, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to get back into it. Thank you. I think you'll you'll be rewarded richly by, by getting back into it. Exactly. Uh, there's there's many many uh, delights await you uh, on the other side of. It's that like dark chocolate versus regular chocolate. Like this is the, uh, what, the most I fucked mean, up Whistle bitter dark chocolate. I love that song so much. That's my favorite track off the record. Duquesne Whistle Rocks. Yeah, uh, he he was basically on the road uh, for all of 2012 between April and November. So he was uh, he was he was he was giving that voice a workout at uh, at this moment in time. He played the show with Mark Knopfler, actually, uh, the one this live version's from in Berkeley. Oh, wow. Uh, started with uh, Watching the River Flow. And, uh, that was a cool pick for Shadow Kingdom as well, a song that yeah. is totally unknown by the masses. Um, Watching the River Flow is lyrically a really interesting song because it's like uh, sort of the a perfect song lyrically, actually, for the, the, the times that we live in uh, now more than ever uh, COVID stuff because the whole thing seems to be about like i i'm i'm retreating i'm away from the hustle and bustle and i am happier right now and i'm i'm just happy to not be caught up in the current just watching the, the metaphor flow. just watching the river flow uh anyways not the song we're talking about uh cry a while this uh, this rearrangement actually like if there's one song that kind of drags for me on love and theft it's cry a while like on the record um, because just stationed where it is, we've had l- literally just an incredible run, High Water, Moonlight, Honest With Me, Po' Boy, and then it ends with Sugar Baby. And this is the one that just kind of like just doesn't do it for me as much as everything else that it's sandwiched in between. So this this rearrangement, this kind of rave up version, it's a lot of fun. I think it's I think it's a cool kind of rework. If, if it sounded more like this on the record, I might actually vibe with it a little bit more. Still great song and great lyric. Yeah, I cried for you. Now it's your turn. You now can cry, bro. Fuck you. Exactly. Yeah, and there's a there's a line in there that I hope is prophetic. I'll I'll die before I turn senile. You you go, Bob. Exactly. Yeah. He's <laughs> just saying you, he's saying euthanize me if I ever can't sing <laughs> this song. Yeah. This this is this is what exists. In, there there is no will. It's just this song. No. Well, I mean, Bob's life is a lesson to everyone. It's like, hey, guess what? If you want to like be act, like stay active your whole life and be creative and do things, and you'll be able to keep doing things and being creative, like just perpetual motion machine. Keep going, exactly. Yeah. 
pressing on. Uh, well, I think that brings us uh, brings us here to Sugar the close baby. with boy. You know, this is uh, you know, we've talked about this before. Do you, let me ask you. We have the we have the professional musician on the show here. So I like Bob is is like a master sequencer of records uh, in in our opinion, and especially play pays such close attention to the first closers. and the last yeah. song on the right. Yeah. The opener totally. and the closer. Do you guys like put that like level of thought into, or like, is that, is yeah. that a major focus when you guys are sequencing too? hundred percent on all three of our records. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I cannot compare ourselves. To you you only have three no, yeah, because you, sure. you pay so much attention to the sequencing that it takes that long, you know? Yeah. <laughs> no, but yes, you want to leave it, you know, what is kick it off in this way and leave it with the, the vibe I'm, yeah this song is so like the slow burner soulful track i love it yeah yeah and just packed like absolutely beginning to end with incredible lines um you know there's the and, and just the refrain also uh sugar baby get on down the line you ain't got no brains no how you went years without me you might as well keep going now it's like a really kind yeah. of cold-blooded cold-blooded and just kind of downer note to end on like he's clearly pissed at someone but like yeah and different from the entire record like like exactly none of of the record is in this tone and that's i i sort of love that this one is on there because it's like he's got to have one like the whole way through legit straight like this is Hold on, I'm gonna cut somebody deep on this yep, track. Exactly. And it's the la- and it's the last it's what he ends you on. Like this is this is yeah. the this is the taste in your mouth at the end of this record. Yeah. It's which is like if I'm if I'm putting myself in Bob's head, like he's like, I still I can still do that. The time out of mind, you like that? You like that stand <laughs> in the doorway and not dark yet? I still got one of those in my back pocket. Yeah. You just whip it out. I wonder if this song is about a sugar baby scenario. Oh, well, it's possible. I only thought of that because I, when I was looking up the lyrics just now, I realized Megan the Stallion has a song called Sugar Baby, which I'm sure is about <laughs> something different than this, maybe. But maybe seems, they're about the same thing. It seems unlikely that they would be about the same thing, but I suppose anything's possible in this day and age. I, I see this lyric as being sung to Bob. I, in my mind, oh. Oh. this is the message coming to him from like really? the jilted lover who's like yeah fuck you fuck off bob get back on the road go do wow. your thing like you always do yeah this huh. this line your charms have broken many a heart and mine is surely one you got a way of tearing a world apart love see what you've done just as soon as we're living just as soon as you're born look up look up seek your maker for gabriel blows his horn that is interesting to think about Jeez. as if it's being said to him wow well as he's as he himself has confessed, you know, uh, he is he is every person and he's not every person in right. every one of the songs. It's like what they written. say about dreams, you know, that everybody in your dream is you, in some form. Right, right. Yeah, that makes that makes some amount of sense, Steve. I, I hadn't actually thought about it that that way, but I I actually totally see that now. Like Baby um, Blue, like yeah, yeah, that's a great point. That yeah. type of thing. All right, sequel to Baby Blue. Who knew? It has that type of. It really does give you a similar feeling. As different as those songs are, right? This song kind of has that. Like you've got to just move on. Even it feels like you, a kiss off song. Yeah, like, to Bob. Like some of these memories you can learn to live with, and some of them you some can't. Some of them you like, can't. Yeah, it's yep. over. Yeah, try to make things better for someone. Sometimes you just end up making it a thousand times worse. Uh, there's, right. there's, there's some, there's, there's some loaded shit going on. Uh, yeah, there. very sort of behind these lyrics, noirish yeah. ending, like this sort of grim oh, yeah. uh, perseverance that that it leaves you with. 
Every but, moment of existence seems like some dirty trick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's insane. And just that twang, just that like ding, absolutely ding, just like ding, banging ding. your head against a brick wall, twanging yeah. guitar, like the, 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 the record cut at least. It's yeah. just like, oh man. This it, would be good in that Shadow Kingdom arrangement. Yeah. 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 Although Shadow Kingdom is, uh, overall, it seemed like, you know, he didn't want to go that dark um in yeah, terms of no, lyrics it was, it was more uh, the whole thing I could, I could also hear this going the other way like i i was listening to this song today and i was like i could almost hear this like being like a heavy dirge i'm like waiting for the drums to come in and it build and actually turn into like a a dirge rock song which right. would be an interesting arrangement for this yeah well maybe uh on the 2021 version of uh, the never ending yeah. tour he'll just whip that out and it'll be a whole new a whole new song for all of us or maybe it'll be it a jump happen. blues <laughs> maybe you know what he's gonna make it upbeat you never know you know what they say evan thank god for the blues thank god for the blues that's right <laughs> um all right well i think that uh that might do it for us here uh you know this this would normally be the moment of time where we give our uh our star ratings here but evan and i have already done that and i have a feeling that uh, i know what what your uh, star rating out of three is going to be for this one, yeah. Steve. But tell us, three, tell three us stars. if we're wrong here. Uh, shock, no, shock. I'm shocked. You got it. Shock. I'm, shocked. I'm shocking you with my three star rating. <laughs> three out of three, a perfect album. Absolutely, agreed. Have uh, I convinced you, Evan? Is it? Oh, is it creeped into your top ten? I mean, yes. Like I, you know, I actually one of my top ten things that I did was, I don't know why, but I, I guess I know. I mean, I put Nashville Skyline in there because Ian sort of showed me he taught me to love that album. And so it actually made it into my top 10. I tried to keep my top 10 kind of, uh, well balanced, but, um, you know, I, I could put, uh, love and theft in there instead of Nashville skyline. And please by all means happy. kick Nashville skyline out. That's high enough on my list. Let's get yeah. love and theft in there. What we ended up with was sweep. we got, uh, modern times and love and theft on both of our lists, which was nice because, you know, those, I think there's a case to be made that they're both kind of equals or like different yeah, flavors I, yeah. of the they're same both, thing. In my mind, perfect records. I love modern times almost as much. <laughs> I, I think I put it up there because it has, um, when the deal goes down and that, that song, I think is just one of the most like profound and sweet and sweetest songs. And in some ways, modern times has a little bit of a, a kinder heart i think than this this record but that's also the record that ends with uh ain't talking so i don't know i was gonna say yeah it's got ain't talking and netty Moore. it's got some darker ones yeah, yeah. It's got some hard ones there uh well thanks so much for joining us steve this yeah, was thank you, steve. a blast uh Terrific. you are yeah. uh, Clearly a, a font of Bob knowledge, uh, <laughs> even uh, throwing some stuff out there that uh, the two dumbest Bob Dylan podcasters on earth didn't know. So we appreciate you uh, stopping by and uh, of course, um, waxing rhapsodic over maybe Bob's, well, I was going to say maybe Bob's best record of the 21st century. I guess according to me it is, but I know that's a contentious <laughs> claim to make. It's his first one. So it's certainly it's his, his first, first one. That we can all agree best. on. I, yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> One of these days, I'll write my 33 and a third book on how great this album is. Please do. I no, I, thank you, guys. This was a blast. I, I will say, like, the, my favorite part of being in a uh, modestly popular cult band is that I can wedge my way into podcasts that I like. So <laughs> thank you guys for having me. This was so fun. Our pleasure.
Jokerman. I got my back to to the sun Cause the light is a two in ten I can see what everybody in the world is up again You can't turn back You can't come back Sometimes we push the too far One day You'll open up your eyes and You'll see where you are Sing it baby, get on down the road You ain't got no bridge, no how went years without me might as well keep going now some of these bootleggers they make pretty good stuff This is